and rock and roll. Not logical, but it is fascinating. Playing down that big old fairway. Don't want no hackers to get in my way. The boys and me got a big NASA going. We were born to drive. It's the Golf Insiders, giving you the inside scoop on all things golf. Now, here are your Golf Insiders on 740 The Game. I love to play. Hey, bring me another bucket of balls. We love it. Hello, Orlando. You're listening to the Golf Insiders, taking you home on the fairways of I-4, in the house, Holly G, along with my very special guest tonight, the one, the only, Dr. Bob Winters from the David Ledbetter Academy, who's going to uh, fill us in a little bit on the psychology of uh, getting yourself in the right space for a major, uh, because it is the final major of the year, it's hard to believe. The PGA Championship. We are on the eve of the PGA Championship, Dr. Bob. It's amazing. It is amazing, Holly, and I am so glad to be here with you. We have known each other since, what, 1991, 1992? We look amazing. We look amazing, and you look fantastic. You do a great job, and the doctor is finally making a house call with Holly G. I know. Well, we could go a lot of places with that. <laughs> um, but we always like to check in with you, especially around the majors, because... You have dealt with some of the greatest uh, players in the world, still do, as the resident uh, world's leading mental conditioning coach at the David Ledbetter Academy right here in Orlando. And, um, you know, it's always fun to get your take and help us go inside the mindset of, uh, you know, the tour players, especially on the eve of a, of a major, because uh, they're just, you know, there's just something different about each major, whether it's the Masters, the U.S. Open, the British Open, and now the PGA Championship. Yeah, it's going to be really an interesting week. And, you know, we always talk about the PGA being sort of the sort of the forgotten major. It used to be in the 80s and the early 90s. But the PGA of America has done a great job, you know, of going out and getting the very best venues and really making some great championship layouts and setting them up, you know, and really, you know, identifying the best player in the world to win the last major of, you know, the golfing season. So I remember being at Valhalla back in about 1993-94 before we had the PGA Championship there. And I remember, you know, them setting up the golf course and talking to the PGA committee that was there because I was working with some special clients. And I said, you know, really, what are you doing here? And they said, well, we are going to make this a venue not only for the PGA Championship, but we're looking at, you know, far ahead. We're looking at multiple major championships. Ryder Cups and things like that, and and they have they've done a great job, and so for the last you know decade they have done an awesome job, and the PGA Championship is a certifiable number one major championship, and everyone wants to win the PGA Trophy. Yeah, and um, you know Whistling Straits, uh, the site of the PGA Championship in 2010, which um, as we know was uh, a, a, a Devastating loss for Dustin Johnson when he, um, you know, grounded his club in, in what he thought was a, um, a fairway bunker, I, I believe, on 18. 
and, um, you know, was the first chance for his first major. So uh, what do you think about DJ um, and the opportunity to kind of put this this major bugaboo to bed? Well, I think, you know, DJ's playing great. And uh, if you just take a look at his track record, he's trending. And he's always there. I mean, ever since his return back to the PGA Tour, he has been right there at the top. And I think, you know, he's he's just biting at the bit, you know, trying to get out there to Whistling Straits. And obviously the PGA has put you know, a corporate tent, you know, put like a little building right there where we had the Dustin Johnson. And there's a lot of mixed reviews on that, Holly, about whether they should have put it there and not put it there. I think a lot of people want to say, hey, you know, is this the place? And and they don't like, you know, they actually put it there. So we'll just have to see. But I, I think DJ is going to be one of the usual suspects. He's going to have another great week, and uh, we'll see what happens. Well, uh, hats off to Shane Lowry, the Irishman who closed the deal, another first-time winner at the uh, Bridgestone on Sunday. Great breakthrough win for him, and he had a lot of guys biting at his heels. Um, you know, he he he, uh, he 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 held out, and you know, two-shot victory with the likes of Jim Furyk and you know uh, uh, Ricky Fowler going going down the stretch there. Oh, absolutely. And when you have Justin Rose and everybody in the mix, but let's take a look at you know Mr. Lowry. I mean, this person isn't some uh, newcomer to you know the world golf scene. We have all these players who are now sort of breaking out on tour. I can't remember how many first-time winners we have now on the tour. I mean, it's it's a lot. You know, it's in the double digits. And they're coming from all over. But, you know, Shane Lowry is a tremendous player. And I think you're going to see him, you know, do, you know, a fantastic job uh, even this week. And there's a lot of other international players. Jamie Donaldson comes to mind. But we also have, you know, some some new young Lions. We've got the Tony Finaus and the Brooks Kepka. And some of those players, and it's going to be interesting. Up Danny there. Lee, uh, it's, oh, I, absolutely. Um, how do you think? You know, they're talking about whistling straights. Um, you know, again, another uh, course that appears to be links looking. Uh, Zach Johnson actually kind of went um, against the grain of calling whistling straights a, a true links course because he pointed out there's no fescue in the fairways and there's no fescue on the greens and um, needless to say, it does border a lot of water, beautiful Lake Michigan. I think, um, eight of the holes actually, uh, butt up against the water, but he, you know, he said it, it really in his mind wasn't a true Lynx course. Well, I think what the Kohler family has done and with Pete Dye has designed an ultimate, ultimate championship venue. And what I love about whistling straights this week, it's green. It's green. Unlike uh, Chambers Bay, where I was a few weeks ago for the U.S. Open, that was brown. And here we are in, you know, in the northwest uh, for Chambers Bay. And it should have been green. It should have been just absolutely beautiful and pristine. But it was brown. And I'm so uh, glad that the PGA has allowed you know, them to actually put some water on it and keep it you know, the way you know, it should be played and the way Pete Dye envisioned it to be. So I think you know, when you take a look at we've had three venues this year, and I think you know, Zach was kind of talking about it that it's really not a Lynx course, but it has a lot of bunkers. It has a lot of you know, penalizing shots. You've got to you know, have strategic shots off the tee box. Um, there's a lot of drop-offs, a lot of you know, sort of waste areas. So there are, is a very penal design 
However, this, it's a very target-oriented golf course, too. So, And I don't think you're going to have like the runaway shots that you did when you had at Chambers Bay for the USGA or even you know some of the runaway shots that you have at St. Andrews. And it's interesting. We've got the third venue in a major championship that sure looks like you know a Scottish Lynx golf course. So, I mean, we had the U.S. Open at Chambers Bay. Sure looked like a British Open. We had you know St. Andrews. That is the Open. And now we've got Whistling Straits. That you know sort of resembles a you know a Lynx golf course, but it has its own personality as well. We had a brief conversation before we went on air about this, and and I asked your opinion. Um, you know, personally, I tend to fall into more of the traditionalist when it comes to the U.S. Open, our national championship. We have so many historic, great golf courses, and you know the idea of having to kind of the last couple of years. Okay, you know, I I thought that redesign of Pinehurst number two was fantastic. But again, this idea of having to, you know, create or, you know, I don't know if trick up is the right word, but to, you know, have, again, a Lynx course for our national championship. We've got the British Open. What's what's your feeling on that? Well, I think you've got the Masters. I mean, when you go to the Masters in April, you've got, you know, a classic. I mean, it's Augusta National. It's pristine. It's a little bit of heaven right here on earth. So you know what you're getting. And the only changes they make, they might extend a tee box here or there. They might put in a couple extra azaleas here and there, a little bit more bark, you know, on some of the walkways. But you know what you're getting at, at Augusta. Then you go, you know, to the U.S. Open. And in the old days, and I'm a traditionalist as well, I, I used to love to see the you know, multiple uh, variations of rough. And I wanted to see it green. And I like to see tree-lined fairways. I want them chopping it out of that (laughs) stuff. And I think everybody, you know, sort of, you know, likes that in the U.S. Open because that's really what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to identify all areas of your game and sort of, you know, really locate those weak areas and how good can you shore up those weak areas. So that's the U.S. Open. Then you go to the British Open. You're going to play that rotation of golf courses, and it's going to be, you know, tough weather, seaside. You're going to hit a lot of bump and runs. But now you've got the PGA Championship where they've actually sort of tried to take it to a lot of different venues. And I think kudos to the PGA for doing that because I, I think when you get locked into the same old stuff year after year, day after day, uh, you know, I don't think there's any variety. And variety is the spice of life, and that's why people love to go play different golf courses to have different lies, different grass, and different challenges. Well, we've got a lot of golf to talk about tonight. We're on the eve of the PGA Championship. You're listening to the Golf in Orlando, as well as around the country. Um, Just our condolences to Scott's family. Uh, 25 years on air here and um, just uh, unfortunately passing to a seven-year battle with cancer. And a golfer who uh, loved the game and so... um, we just, uh, he'll be greatly missed and wanted to just say our own, uh, our own thanks for um, just all the great years, uh, Scott McKenzie. And moving quickly into our first segment tonight, we've got the one, the only Bob Herrick from ESPN.com calling in from Whistling Straits to talk about what's happening with uh, the leaders in terms of the feature groups tomorrow at Whistling Straits. Hey, Bob. Hey, how's it going, Holly? Thanks for having me. Hey, appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. So, uh, of course, uh, the big story, Rory back, uh, you know, the fear of the broken ankle. 
uh, you know, has passed. He's recovered from the ligament injury. And tell us uh, how, how Roy's looking. Well, I'm just sort of amazed that he's back. Um, you know, that injury sounded horrible. July 4th is not that long ago. It's, uh, you know, it's roughly six weeks ago. And uh, he said today that, uh, you know, at first he feared he broke it, you know, and, uh, and if there had been any more damage, he would have had surgery. And then, you know, we're talking he's not playing any golf the rest of this year. But here he is. He started hitting balls again on July 28th. He played 72 holes of golf last week in Portugal. He's been here since Saturday and has played or practiced parts of every day. Says he's 100%. Now, you know, is he really? I, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's, not, it's been hard to detect one issue uh, with the ankle. And, and then I guess the next part of it is, is where is his game uh, competitively? He's not played since the final round of the U.S. Open. And it's a long time to go without competing this time of year when, you know, there's so many tournaments that have been uh, going on and guys, and he would have played in at least three of them. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to, to watch and see how he does. He's obviously determined to get back at it. Well, and a fellow countryman, Shane Lowry, winning his first tournament last week at uh, the WGC. He finished uh, tied for ninth, I believe, at the U.S. Open. So I would have my eyes on, on Shane coming into this tournament. Well, sure, the form is good, um, uh, and he held off three major champions to win last week in in uh, Justin Rose and and Bubba had a nice final round. Uh, you know, it was uh, and Jim Furyk, of course, was the other one in there. But uh, yeah, heck of a win, and and the way he he pulled off some of those shots over the final nine holes, uh, made some clutch putts, good up and downs. You know. Uh, Ought to bode well for him going forward. Well, of course, his world number one ranking uh, in perhaps a little bit of jeopardy. I bet that was plenty of fuel and had him do a few extra workouts to get that ankle in shape for for the PGA Championship this week, as well as defending his crown. Yeah, I mean, not only did he have to miss, you know, some important tournaments, but, uh, you know, Jordan Spieth came also close to passing him and, and still could this week. Uh, had he won the Open or had he won last week at the Bridgestone, Jordan would have gone to number one. Uh, as it is, he doesn't have to win this week, but he would need a poor performance from Rory coupled with a high finish for him to get to number one. So it's possible. And uh, as you know, they're playing together for the first two rounds along with Zach Johnson. Yeah, that is going to be a fun pairing to watch and uh, very uh, different, not only different styles, but um, different personalities, too. Of course, this was, we've already briefly talked about, this was, of course, where Dustin, uh, you know, lost the championship in in 2010. Um, What's coming out of his press conferences and where do you think he is, given what's happened, you know, leading the tournament by quite a bit at St. Andrews and not being able to back it up Saturday and Sunday, as well as, you know, letting it slip through his hands at, at uh, Chambers Bay. Yeah, it's been um, not, not a whole lot of good Sundays for him here, or Mondays even, when you consider the Open. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was a 12-foot eagle putt away from winning the U.S. Open and then a four-footer from going to a playoff. 
and instead there's been nothing but doubt since uh, 75-75 weekend at St. Andrews. He just went 75-76 at, at uh, Firestone. You know, he was kind of in the on the fringe of contention going into the weekend there. Yep. And then had a horrible weekend. So, uh, you know, everybody kind of had the feeling that he bounced back pretty easily from that from that defeat at uh, at Chambers Bay, especially the start he got off to at, at, old, at the old course. But it's not really been the case since. I mean, he just uh, completely lost it over the weekend there. And now, now he comes back to a place where he's obviously getting a ton of questions about the bunkers and what happened five years ago. You know, uh, to be honest with you, even though I think the bunkers are a big story, I think that the idea of a guy committing that, that infraction again are so remote. There's been so much attention paid to it. They haven't changed anything. Every, every bunker on the course, every sandy area is being played as a bunker. I, I mean, if, if it looks like there's sand beneath your ball and on uh, a fairway, maybe you better not ground your club. I mean, it's just, uh, or you, at least you better ask so many bunkers and uh and actually you know the bunker that he hit into here five years ago is now being covered up by a hospitality tent so uh it's um just a unique golf course in that regard bob this is dr bob winters it's great to have you on the show and you know from my perspective you know when i was out at chambers bay and i've been you know to so many different major venues what's sort of the feeling from the players about the setup there this week at Whistling Straits uh, as, you know, getting themselves ready, you know, for a major championship, you know, are they really pleased, you know, with the setup this week? They seem to be. Um, they, they love the green. They, I, I think they love seeing actual green, to be honest with you. You know, it's, it's quite a different look at Chambers Bay. That grass was really more brown, uh, kind of the product of the weather and lack of watering. And obviously when you play at the open, uh, you're going to be subjected to some different grass and conditioning uh, in that part of the world. But it's pristine here. I mean, these guys have all been raving about the condition. Um, it's a visually stunning place. It, I mean, it looks terrific on TV. Uh, you, can, you hear different things about whether or not guys like it. Um, and, and, you know, usually when you hear that kind of talk, it's hard to... The, the ones who, who don't like it are the ones who typically struggle. You know, I think embracing it, Jordan Spieth has embraced it. Um, it's, um, you know, it's a Lynx-like course, uh, but with an American style. You can't run the ball off. You've got to fly it. And uh, It's Pete Dye at his best. The and, and some big greens. I, I think if the weather is good, there's going to be some good scoring. Well, I have to agree with you, and I think that's the biggest thing, you know, from what I've heard, you know, from the players, you know, that are – getting back in touch with me. I won't be out there this week, but they say, you know, once they hit a really good quality shot that, you know, it doesn't run away. It doesn't, you know, hit it four feet from the hole and then end up 60, 70 yards, you know, from the hole. It's going to actually be maybe 15, 20 feet away at most. So it's a fair setup, and I think that's the way Pete Dye and the PGA of America wants it. So it's it's great to hear that, you know, it's it's in really good shape. Yeah, and they, um, we had a bunch of rain here on Monday, which, um, you know, softened things up considerably. And uh, I, I think it's playing long. You know, it's 7,500 yards. And uh, with that softness, that makes it play even longer. That's why I think it kind of, you know, kind of uh, fits into the hands of the, of the Bubba Watsons and Dustin Johnsons a little bit. And Rory, too, if he's got his game. He certainly hits it out there plenty far. Bob, we can't forget 
the very dramatic finish in the darkness last year at Valhalla, uh, which, you know, created a lot of conversation after the tournament was over. You know, the backup that happened on 18 and then the, you know, race down the fairway to try to get that get the tournament finished, which they did, uh, which, you know, as soon as Rory hit that tee shot in 18, uh, you know, it was it was all go. He he wanted to get that thing done. Uh, do you think you know the PGA has looked at that and has any plan B in case something like that happens again? Yeah, you know, you hope that they have. Um, it was a little bit awkward, and it could have been really bad. I think if um, you know if things had played out a little bit differently, uh, you know, the way that thing ended, you know, Rory was kind of able to see what Phil and Ricky did. And, uh, you know, right in front of him. And, uh, you know, that, uh, and, and didn't have to play his second shot with as much pressure. Right. Because, um, you know, it, he, was, he was kind of playing it alongside them. And, uh, you know, that's not really how you want it to be. I understand the, the wanting to get it done. And um, obviously they, they had a horrible weather day that day, a lot of rain. It just, it, the play got suspended. Um, you know, another, you know, sort of thing that they were criticized for was they knew the forecast was going to be bad. They maybe could have moved the tee times up a little bit on Sunday morning uh, so that they give themselves a little bit more cushion. And we all understand nobody wanted to come back on Monday to play one hole. Uh, but, you know, that was a crucial hole. I mean, the, it was coming down to that. Uh, Fowler and Phil still had chances. And, uh, uh, you know, it, uh, it's not the way you want to see it end. But, but I think... The way it ended up, it, it was okay because because those shots weren't as crucial. But if you know something different had happened, uh, you know what if uh, you know what if Phil had played the hole and eagled it, and Rory has to sit back there and now he has to make a shot. Um, it, uh, uh, it you never know how he might have reacted. So that's why I think there was some angst over the way that ended. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, who uh, who are you keeping your eye on, Bob? Who do you think is going to be raising that trophy, the Wanamaker Trophy, on Sunday? Well, you know how hard it is to pick these things, but I went with Louis Oosthuizen. Uh, Ooh, good uh, you know, pick. Misses, misses a playoff by a shot at the Chambers Bay and is in a playoff at St. Andrews. I mean, uh, you know, that guy's come as close as you can get and walked away with no hardware whatsoever. Uh, so, you know, at least on form, I kind of like him. Uh, but yeah, as we know, that doesn't, that doesn't always mean a whole lot. I think there's a slew of guys that can do well. Um, I'm curious about Rory. Uh, I think Bubba is in good form. Mike's the course, obviously, or at least played well here before. Mark Keimer, Zach Johnson. Uh, usually there's somebody that jumps up and surprises. And I'm not picking him to win by any means, but, you know, we haven't even mentioned one Tiger Woods. So uh, uh, all, all, all kinds of possibilities. Yeah, it's hard, hard to believe, right? I mean, uh, again, only two years ago he was number one in the world and, uh, you know, having one of his uh, best years. It's, uh, it's, it's just remarkable that, yes, we got through your entire segment and we didn't mention Tiger Woods. But uh, <laughs> before we let you go, Bob, how are you doing in your fantasy league? Most important. Well, you know, I wish I, I wish I had put some money on these picks because, um, because I, I've actually picked like five winners this year in that thing, which is, 
That's pretty you darn know, I, good. I'm, I'm, mm. I'm doomed. I'm doomed to eternity after after this year because <laughs> the, I'm catching it from every angle from my colleagues about that. But uh, you're gonna, and you're... I had Justin Rose last week who almost pulled it off there. So, but you know we get the money that they win too. So high finishes are important, but you can only pick a guy once. You're so gonna... It's been fun. It's a fun way to play. That's great. You're gonna get the you're gonna get the official ESPN rookie bobblehead trophy. I think. If... <laughs> Exactly. But we should pay attention to Louis Ustazen as your pick because uh, you have had some you've had some good picks this year. Well, as always, Bob, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Bob Herrig, check him out, ESPN.com. You're listening to the Golf Insider, 740 the game. Stay with us. We've got lots more golf talk coming up. Well, I don't want to take all the credit for their talent, but uh, first I had to teach them to play golf. Then I had to teach them to sing, and then I taught them to play various instruments, none of which they do very well. I want my dream. Yeah, yeah, really We're back, the Golf Insiders, wrapping up an hour of intelligent golf talk in the house, Holly G, along with the doctor, Dr. Bob Winters from David Ledbetter Academy here in Orlando, renowned Sports psychologist, conditioning, mental conditioning coach. Yeah, all of those things. So a couple questions for you because, you know, we know there's a whole different process with these guys when it comes to a major championship in terms of many of them preparing all year for these big events. We know Phil does that. There's a different mindset, you know, different just they come in early, try to get practice rounds, more practice rounds. I want to ask you a question in terms of what it takes to break through. We've seen a number of first-time winners this year, and that's one step. Then, you know, it's guys that become multiple winners but haven't won a major. Dustin Johnson, an example of that. Now Ricky Fowler. What's the difference, and what does it take from a mental perspective, Dr. Bob, in terms of closing the deal Choking or being able to just stay in the moment, which Jordan Spieth seems to have this amazing gift to do so. I don't know that that's learned. I think that comes from somewhere deep inside uh, to be able to, you know, hit the shots in the moment, which, you know, looked like it was shaping up for Jordan at the open on 16 on Monday. And, I, you know, I was thinking, well, here we go. Destiny. Didn't work out that way with the shot that he hit on 18, unfortunately. But your your thoughts on... Well, it's always, you know, it comes down to, you know, are you a clutch or are you going to choke? I mean, that's the whole point. And, and when we start talking about the very best players in the world, they find a way to get the ball in the hole as efficiently and economically as possible. Now, what does that mean? Uh, a lot of people say, well, they get themselves ready for these major championships. They really psych themselves up. Uh, I don't think they psych themselves up. I think they become very consistent with their mindset, very consistent with their approach. It's just golf. And if you can keep it golf and break it down to the simplest common denominator, if the 150-yard shot becomes a 150-yard shot, when you let the perception of the task become enormous and start saying, I have to, I must, I should, then the enormity of the situation you know, sort of runs away with you. Uh, thinking, oh, I need to make this to win the Wanamaker Trophy. You don't think that. You've got to break it down to something very 
simple, very specific, and that's just a 150-yard shot. And that's really what a Jordan Spieth does. That's what you know Tiger Woods used to do. And the point of it is they allow themselves to go out and play. They give themselves permission. It's a personal playing philosophy that says, this is what I do, this is how I do it. I don't have to make it any bigger than what it is. It's just golf. But that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of discipline. And that's why people come to, you know, to see me, to talk to me about this, and keep it that simple. But it is simple and specific. And it isn't you know, trying to make it some big deal. It's just giving yourself permission to go play. And even if it's in your member guest, Dr. Bob works with regular Joes, too. Just go to drbobwinters.com, drbobwinters.com, or you could call him. Call me at 407-340-7785, or even you know, go to davidledbetter.com and find me there. I can be found. Dr. Bob, you are awesome. It's always so much fun to spend time with you. Who's your pick? Real quick, we got 10 seconds. I think I'm going to take 